0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new year and a brand new episode of Opera After Dark.
1: Yay!
0: Happy New Year! (laughs) We made it to 2021 and we're all okay. We're okay. I hope everybody listening is okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're about to be better than okay (laughs) because today we're talking about a very special topic insertion arias
0: let it out now Kyle anything you want to say let's just
1: Uh, I mean I'm on the spot now so you're on the spot so I just don't know but uh, I mean there's so much there insertion arias whoever thought
0: do you remember that episode we did in the first season about Mozart of course loving poop and I've never I think I made you cry
1: I'm sure you did not for the last time I just, I Good never times. thought that I would ever hear about Mozart's obsession with poop. Something like Most that. Mozartine's yeah.
0: scatology. Yeah. <laughs> Mozartine's scatology. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever made you cry. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just wish that more people knew about that. Like it was something in the program notes.
2: <laughs> people like to really keep like a pristine image of him. But he sure. was like a body guy, so...
1: Well, Naomi, what can you tell us about the insertion aria? Or the, There's other names as well, correct?
2: Well, I think that the most popular alternative name is the suitcase aria, right? Um, and then there's also the aria di baule, or di baule, which is like Italian for suitcase aria. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are there other names, Elspeth?
0: I feel like. Like alternate aria sometimes used? Sometimes. I've heard, and I think this pertains more to musical theater, like ice cream arias. Mm. Or, um, I forget what the term is, but it's for, and we were talking about this a little bit last week, um, like the top of act two ensemble number in a lot of classical musicals has literally no bearing on the plot whatsoever it's just there to give people like extra time to like (laughs) finish their ice cream or to come back from the bathroom or a smoke break or whatever
2: those are technically different in opera i think those the like act the top of act two and ice cream arias are like another category of aria that's different from a suitcase aria or insertion
0: aria Well, Naomi, what what is a suitcase aria? Define it for us, because I must be thinking of a different thing.
2: Okay, so it's literally an aria that was actually not part of the original score, right? And so oftentimes it's not even written by the composer of the opera. And yeah, and it was very common back in the day, like, pretty much from the beginning of opera, like exploding as a public art form that singers would just take liberties with inserting into the flow of
0: things. (laughs) (laughs) Every time you're (laughs) going to laugh. She set me up. Right. So
2: they singers would, especially the star singers, like the ones in the title roles or, or lead roles, they would insert an aria into the flow of things and either like put an aria in that just wasn't there at all in the first place. Like there was no aria written for them and they th- thought that they should be able to sing one. So they're like, I'm going to put one in here. Or <laughs> sometimes course. they're like, I don't like this aria that this composer wrote for me. So I am I have a different one
0: that I like better that I want to put
1: Dang. here
0: instead. So it's not that... It's not that these singers had composers write them other things they liked better, but they had like in their back pocket like their five audition arias. So like I like singing this from this other show, so we're just gonna put it in here. Instead. Yeah, so, so oh, it was okay. kind of
2: like singers would have like the arias that showed off their voices the best, right? and they would literally carry the scores with them in their suitcases so that whatever hey. company hey. they were whatever company they were performing with they had all of the music that they needed to like hand the aria to the concertmaster and say like I don't want to sing this one that's written in the score I have one that I like better here it is That's what we're going to sing instead at that particular moment. So it can either be like there is no aria in the score at a moment where they feel like they should get a solo number, or it can be they don't like the solo number that was written for them. So they're like, I have a better one. We're going to put it in here. And a lot of the time, a lot of the time it's not written by the same composer as the composer who wrote the opera. And um occasionally it might not even have been in the same language <laughs> but i think so, for the yeah, most yeah part... my question is
0: do they rewrite the words to make it fit within the context no or i guess you could have like a generic aria that's just like oh i'm so sad and that could probably fit in in anything but do they don't they don't change the language like if i have this german aria that i really like but the opera's in french i'm just gonna do it in german because that's how i know it I
2: don't think it was super common for them to like mix languages. Although I just wouldn't okay. could have passed any, any of them because like this was a time where the divas and divos like really called the shots. Right. And like adaptability and flexibility was a big part of like the operatic industry. And you also have to remember that like in this time period, so this was something that started in the Baroque period But then it's like very common throughout the Baroque, through the classical, and through the end of the bel canto. Like it's really not until you get to Verdi, where he starts basically requiring Ricordi to put in the singer's contracts that they're not allowed to put insertion arias (laughs) into the operas, right? Because it was so, so common. It was such a common thing, especially in Italian opera. And so... And, like, up until that point, too, like, really until the end of, like, the bel canto, you do have longer scene structures, but there are still, like, number structures to the opera, right? Like, you can really easily find, like, this is an aria. This is the recitative that comes before. There's cadences that, like, close the sections musically. So you can imagine just being like, all right, we'll skip this aria. We'll change the key with this new aria aria that's being inserted and then we'll just go back to the key that we were in before and keep going right um uh, there's enough musical closure in the scenes that you can do that but of course with like wagner like you can't you can't do that right because there's there's no cadences there's no there's no like ends to scenes it's all through composed it just so, keeps going it just keeps going and and a lot yeah. of verity's later works wagner
1: would lose his mind. Oh yeah.
2: He would lose it, right? <laughs> it's true. But Verdi's later works are like that too. Like think of Otello, which is like an entirely through-composed opera. Even though there are moments that are arias within it, it's not as easy to like snip them out and replace them with something else, right? So, but throughout the bel canto, this was also quite popular and even like Rossini and Bellini both it was very common for it to happen in their operas. And um, Rossini was pretty okay with it. Like he expected it to happen. And Be- Bellini had a little bit more, like there were certain times where he was like really against it in certain contexts. Cause he actually cared a little bit more about the like dramatic continuity. Right. Of the, the text. Right. Yeah. But- I can't
0: imagine Bellini, like some soprano going up to him and being like, I really don't like singing this Casta Diva thing, I'm, I'm going to put something else in there instead. I feel like Bellini would be like, N-no. no. No. Actually, <laughs> yeah, Norma,
2: exactly. Norma is a really interesting example because apparently oh. there was only one aria that was commonly swapped out in Norma, and it's not Casta Diva. Like, apparently all of the singers were totally fine with most of Norma. It was... um it was one of Orovesos' arias uh, later on in the show, and so eh, who um, cares? yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all right. I like Bye. read the name of the aria, and I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I don't know it that well, so um, it's an act two, and and it was basically from what I read. The reason that it got swapped out was, well, it's it's a base role, and he's not. I don't think he's a leading role in norma i could be wrong but no i don't think he is no so i think it was just like either it was boring or singers didn't like it and so that was one or it wasn't important enough dramatically so bellini was okay with it being swapped out but other than that in norma things were not usually substituted but substitution aria is another name for them Um, But you have to remember, it's also important to remember that especially by the time of the Bel Canto, Italian opera had really become like an industry with a very predictable structure, right? So you had singers had contracts that outlined like exactly how many arias they would get in an opera, how many duets they would get in an opera based on like the importance of the character that they were singing. And also singers typically signed contracts with opera companies for an entire season. So it was not like an opera by opera contract. They would sign for the whole season. And so if you were like the lead soprano or the the prima donna, right, for that season, then you sang all the prima donna roles in every opera that the company put on. And then the same thing for like the primo uomo, the leading male, right? And so in their contracts, they would have these um kind of stipulations about exactly how many arias and duets they would get to sing and it was very common that you would every singer in a lead role would get an entrance aria right like some big flashy aria that's the first thing they sing when they enter to like show off their voice and introduce the character and so that also became a popular place where singers would be like well it's the first thing I'm going to sing I want it to be I want it to be good so like i'm going to have this substitution aria or insertion aria suitcase aria that's ready if i don't like what the composer's written for me then i can always pull out this this alternate aria right and and so singers could bring their kind of like repertoires with them and then certain singers like the substitutions that they made became so popular that other singers would copy them
0: cuz it would like it would work so well right Um, Or the audience would like it. Is there a situation where there was an aria that was substituted and it became so popular it sort of became part of the score and it's now in the piece? That I did
2: not come across, but it's possible that it's there. There's this really great book that's basically like the authority on all insertion arias called
0: <laughs> changing
2: it it's called changing the score and it's by a scholar named Hilary Porris and she's done like amazing historical work documenting all of these different places where singers like had agency in changing the score by using these suitcase arias and there's a lot there's a lot of interesting commentary about how like certain singers cared very deeply about making sure that the aria they were putting in made dramatic sense and like somehow connected with the story. And so there was one singer who was known for doing this a lot um, named Nicola Tacchinardi. And he was very, very, I think he was a tenor possibly. I can't remember, but he was, famous for using these insertion arias but he was like really picky about how he would do it so that basically you couldn't argue that he was making like a dramatically irresponsible choice right um but it sounds like some singers cared a lot more about that than others right and he also there's some interesting research about how some of his insertion arias that he chose, he kind of did so deliberately to... in order to basically make the character fit like a masculine hero a little bit more than what he believed the score in its original state called for. And a lot of this comes after, like, tenors start singing in chest voice, right? And there, like, the high C's become really popular. And so trying to, like, shape and mold male characters through the music that he's singing so that they, like, fit a more, like, masculine stereotype or this new emerging, like, masculine stereotype um, that, cha- that changes a lot after the fall of the castrati, right? Because the castrati no longer have that sound or the sound of the castrati voice is no longer what audiences are, like, expecting of a masculine hero, Right.
0: Your male hero. I wonder if there were prima donnas or prima uomos or whoever that were contracted for a season and every opera they sang in their entrance aria there was just like the same thing over and over again. Like, <laughs> this is this is this is what I want. This is what we're doing.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking about audience members <laughs> oh, like yeah. hearing this. And if people were just like super pissed off. Like I feel like you'd be pissed off if you went to see an opera. And heard an aria from a different opera.
2: Well, if I knew the opera. But at this time, these operas were all new, right? True. So like, Right? So, like, you don't know as the exactly. audience member, like, what it's supposed to be.
0: It's like if you go to a concert and just yell, play Free Bird. I, mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing I think, I think the thing you would notice
2: is, especially if you're going to, like, every opera in this season, you'll be like, wait. Wasn't that the same entrance aria she sang in the last opera? Yeah, was but what I'm saying composer? is,
0: if you're going for this specific person, you want to hear like the greatest hits, and one of this aria is like their greatest hits. You got to do it every time. It's like I don't know, <laughs> going to every Verdi opera and being like sing the chorus of the Hebrew slaves <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like Both we want to hear We want to hear this. In. I just dropped in. It's somewhere. like you don't want to
1: hear the new album. You want to hear, like, the album from 10 years ago that you love. I definitely feel like if it happened today, at least half of the audience, probably more, would just be, like, super pissed, super pissed off. Although, I guess the other half of the audience that haven't been to an opera before or don't know it, they'd be like, hey, great, I know that song. Like, if it was a greatest hits aria.
2: Well, I think today there's this idea that changing the score is sacrilegious. And that's something that, like, culturally begins at the end of the 19th century. Once you have Ricordi, like, publishing these, Mm -hmm. like, what we call urtexts of scores, right? Like, the authoritative version of the score. And we have this big trend in music scholarship that begins, like, in the 20th century that's, like, What was the composer's original intentions, and how like the only authentic thing to do is to is to use the urtext of the score? So it's become this like sacred object that we can't change, but like culturally, that was not what happened in opera up until like the beginning of the twentieth century. Like it just didn't happen.
1: Not to mention how how great it would be to be a singer that like you never have to sing an aria that like doesn't fit your voice or your Fach.
0: Actually, I would prefer it if it if it made no sense whatsoever and it was clearly just some vanity thing that the singer did. I'd be like, in a way I appreciate this. I that definitely
2: did happen sometimes. Yeah. And like there were singers that were known for doing that, like just being total divas and like like I'm gonna do the one I want because this is what I sing best. <laughs> right? well, was there um,
0: ever a situation where The composer or the theater owner or whatever just put their foot down and was like, absolutely no fucking way.
2: Yeah, the composer, like Bellini put his foot down a few times. He like went up against the singers. Verdi did too. Um, Apparently Rossini did, but then he like caved. So I have some examples. I'll,
0: I feel like Rossini didn't really, and maybe someone's gonna get upset when I say this. I doubt it, but I feel like Rossini didn't care that much. (laughs)
1: yeah as long as he was getting paid
0: yeah people seem to like the stuff that I'm doing and I'm getting paid I mean it seems like he kind of like rolled
2: with whatever the culture was at the time so his version Rossini's version of Otello apparently he didn't write an entrance aria for Desdemona and so then it just became really popular for singers to just drop in their own suitcase aria for the in the insertion of her entrance and mm-hmm. he was fine with it, um, for the most part. And then in like 1827, he starts kind of putting his foot down and saying, like, please don't don't add arias to this, like, do it as written. Um, and but basically like everyone ignored him. <laughs> they were like, Nope. <laughs> like, Desdemona needs an entrance aria, so we're just gonna do it. Um, there was one situation, this is not um Rossini but in Bellini's um, e Capuletti e montecchi uh, which is like basically Romeo and Juliet right the Capulets and the Montagues uh, Maria Malibran was a singer who was very well known very popular like huge diva at the time and um, she just decided to substitute the whole finale with oh. Another finale by another composer named Vakai. Vakai also wrote an opera with the exact same name, E. Capuletti e Montechi. And she was like, "Mm, Vakai's finale is better. So I'm just gonna, like, let's just swap the whole thing. And... It became so popular that people called it the Alamella ending, and it was performed that way, like, long after her death. It was basically just became, like, the standard thing. <laughs> to Hot just swap.
0: damn. Yeah. <laughs> that is, swap it that out. is ballsy. And she got all, like, the other singers involved. <laughs> like, okay. Yep.
2: <laughs> and then, like, there are some operas that are really famous today, as is, that were, like, People took a lot of liberties with, like Lucia di Lammermoor. Um, there was that. always substitution arias in Lucia, and a lot of arias by Vakai were like dropped into the Lucia, and people were fine with it. Oh, one I pulled this one specifically for Kyle. One of your favorite operas, La Zir de More. Mm, so, yes. there's this aria in in toward the end of the opera prendi permese libero i'm pretty sure that's when when adina's like begging Nemorino not to go right because he's gonna
0: go i think he's gonna go join the army right yeah and then she tells him that uh she loves him
2: yes so that particular aria was considered so boring (laughs) at the premiere (laughs) (laughs) that it was often substituted out, especially, like, sometimes just the cabaletta section, but sometimes the whole thing. So,
1: Oh, nice. I mean... I bet uh, Una furtiva lagrima would be, like, the best insertion aria.
0: Into anything? Oh, where would that be good? In what other opera would that be good? A situation where it's, like, a hopeful aria but it also sounds incredibly sad even though it's <laughs> yeah, not something like mm. that
2: because he's like i made her cry like i hurt her but in doing that i've learned that she loves me so that's like a wonderful revelation
1: yeah i don't know maybe like in traviata like alfredo could sing this aria this aria.
0: alfredo could sing that somewhere. after he like throws the to the ground <laughs> gives her money and calls her a whore exactly and then Pause. <laughs> he thinks, "What have I done?" <laughs>
1: Una furtiva <laughs> lagrima. <laughs> It'd be
0: weird, but I'd be I'd be okay with it. Anyway. Yeah.
2: Topic at hand. Okay. So some some examples. So there's one example that I think um, a lot of people who have been in a music conservatory would recognize: the aria "Un moto di gioia" from *Le Nozze di Figaro*. Uh, Mm. no okay so that one is an interesting case because mozart actually wrote it as an alternative aria Uh. so there's the scene you know when Susanna's like dressing carabino up as a girl and she sings this aria like while she's doing that um Venite in, 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 in Gino... Uh, I can't even pronounce it. in, Gino, uh, in, vite, yes. in, in Gino Chiatevi. That one, yeah. Venite yes. in Ginocchiatevi.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, so in this revival of La Nozze di Figaro in Vienna, um, soprano Adriana Fernese del Bene was singing the role of Susanna, and basically she was like, yeah, this act to aria, it doesn't really like fit my voice very well it doesn't sound very good can you write me a new one so he wrote her un moto di gioia be, like for her voice and so they would just drop that in instead of the original aria that he wrote and so now when you get a score for la di figaro if you get like the urtext edition then un moto di gioia will usually be included in the back as like an alternate that you could drop in to that scene. And I think there was one other aria he did in a similar way, like rewrote a completely new aria for a singer that could be dropped in instead in that opera.
0: Yeah, I feel so, like I might be really misremembering this, but I feel like there is an alternate aria to De Vieni. And when they did, when the Met did The Marriage of Figaro a bazillion years ago, when it was, like, Bryn Terfel, Rene Fleming, and Cecilia Bartoli was the Susanna. She didn't sing De Vieni Non Tadar. She sang The Alternate, and it was, like, a big scandal. Because The Alternate aria is fine, but, like, De Vieni is De Vieni, and nothing is better in that moment. So people were, right. like, up in arms. I also could be entirely making that up. <laughs> it could be that it was in Moto Di Gioia,
2: because there is a bunch of clips out there online of Cecilia Bartoli singing Un Moto di Gioia, like, in stage production. So maybe she was on, like, a, a kick of, like, using the insertion aria. Maybe. Right? I thought
0: that was pretty ballsy. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, everyone is, like, especially precious about Mozart scores, right? So if you
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> if you change a Mozart score...
1: Especially Naomi.
2: I'm not that precious about, about Mozart scores. Well, I mean, like, I feel...
0: <laughs> Dave Yeni is not something you should change for something else because it's so good. Like, again, if you wanted to get right. rid of all, like, Don Ottavio's music.
1: Definitely Don Ottavio.
0: That's fine. <laughs> right? Get rid of it oh, all. Come on. Poor we said Donatavio. what we said <laughs> and we're right. Or, like, some of, like, Batti Bel Belmazetto's. I don't like them.
2: I'm pretty sure, <laughs> I, I know, I don't like that aria either, but I'm pretty sure there is an aria for. Mazzetto that I'm not sure if it's an insertion area or if it's just cut a lot because they're like no we don't need to do this. <laughs> so, I think it's just cut because everyone's um, like this is long, right? We, no one cares about Mazzetto. nobody cares. <laughs> but yeah, so there's some other interesting examples. Kind of the the interesting thing when I was reading through these is that a lot of the really um, common examples common as in like they happened all the time in the period of the bel canto are from operas that are not really part of like the main repertoire today so maybe there's like a bit of a connection between that it's like the opera itself kind of in its original form didn't survive because you had people like inserting arias and things like that or it didn't kind of gain lasting popularity um a Donizetti example And I, this is one that I actually found some like musics we can play like the original versus what was swapped out. So Donizetti's Marino Faliero, which I've never seen, don't know much about it. Um, Nope. one, One of the main characters, her name is Elena, and she doesn't really have like an entrance aria in the original score. She has like a recitative and then a duet with Fernando and so it was kind of like a thing that she didn't have an entrance aria. So there was a soprano who, like, of course, took, you know, great offense to this and wanted an entrance aria. So she tried a few different ones, actually. Um, and so there was one that she used, Io Talor Più Non Ramento, from Donizetti's other relatively unknown opera, Sanchia de Castillo. Castilia. Um and that one went okay but then like she really I guess hit it out of the park with using an aria from Ugo Conti di Parigi uh, I have heard of none of these right these are like these <laughs> are the Donizetti operas that just like fell off the face of the earth basically after he died but uh, this aria a uh, quando in regio
1: so we're going get to listen to these
2: Yeah, side by side. So first we'll listen to the, like, the recit and duet, which is the original. I mean, we can, like, skip the recit if we don't want to do the whole recit. But, um, and then there's also this substitute that she was responsible for putting in from this other Donizetti opera, Ugo Conti di Parigi. And it's the substitution aria was called Ah, Quando in (laughs) Reggio. Already by 1833, things were starting to change. Julia Grisi, a very popular soprano, or I don't know, was she a soprano or mezzo? I'm not sure. Probably soprano. She's probably soprano. Um, <laughs> in her contract, it said, Verdi like, specifically asked for this, that her contract say, it is forbidden for Signora Grisi to insert yes. pieces of music without the permission of the impresario. <laughs> Yeah, and Verdi introduced a a fine into the contracts that if if singers did this, he could levy a fine of a thousand francs. So... Good for him. This is how much he disliked it. Yeah, so by the end of the Romantic period, the end of the 1800s, the practice falls out of fashion because composers are much more interested in, like, dramatic continuity through composition. All of these things culturally we become much more interested in a society as like the composer is genius and you can't tamper with his score. But it was something that was a big part of opera, like really until the end of the eighteen hundreds, and so it's just a practice that we don't follow today, but is a big part of the history. Yeah. Which is kinda cool.
1: I I mean maybe cool. post COVID is the time to retry insertion arias because people just right. haven't heard opera yeah. live. Like so Half the audience
0: be like, what are you doing? And the other half will be like, oh, my God, I haven't heard anybody do anything in so long.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe now's the time, singers, to bust out your insertion arias. <laughs> Open those suitcases. See what you've got stowed away.
1: Thank you, Naomi, for telling us all about insertion arias.
2: So that's one type of aria. There's a lot of different types of aria, of arias. We're gonna talk about more of them in future episodes like rage arias and ice cream arias and ice cream other good things. So we've got more coming, but for now have fun diving down the rabbit hole of suitcase arias in your listening.
1: And yeah, as Naomi said, uh this is just one type of aria. We started off with insertion arias. Next week we'll be back with Another type of aria, which will surely be a lot of fun. In the meantime, you know where to find us at operafterdark.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, you can also find us at patreon.com/operafterdark. We would love to have your support there. And we'll be back with you next week. And until then, I'm Kyle.
0: I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Bye. Happy New Year. Boom, boom, boom.